I'm preaching tonight on this subject. Are you making a profit? Are you making a profit? And uh, I want you to listen as we go through this story. It is a familiar story and passage of Scripture uh, in the Bible. I believe it is a parable uh, that applies specifically to the church age, the time between the nobleman's departure and his return uh, to take account of his servants. I believe it represents the time period between our Lord's ascension in Acts chapter 1 and his return that could be today. He is coming again. And I believe that this uh, parable, this story, represents the time period uh, that you and I are living in. It is uh, one, a story of accountability, and it applies to us, and it applies to what we do for God. Look at me now. You're going to stand before God, and you're going to give an account for what you do with your time and what you do with your life. He won't care how much we've accomplished of this world's goods, but we'll give an account as to how we serve him. I don't know about you, but that's a sobering thought to realize. Now, I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm not concerned at all about my salvation, the safety, the security of it, because it's not dependent on me. It's dependent on him. One day I'll stand before him. Now, uh, there was no doubt that my parents loved me. Uh, there was no doubt that my father loved me. But when he gave me a job to do, he expected it not only to be complete, he expected me to give an account of what I'd done. In my time of giving an account to him, but the chores or responsibility he had given me, uh, he never wanted to hear an excuse as to why I couldn't get it done. He never gave me a job to do that he did not expect for me to accomplish. And so uh, there was a time of concern. Uh, there was a time of uh, fear. And I'm not talking about fear of being abused, but uh, there was a time. There was so much respect. There was a time of fear as I uh, stood before him. And uh, there have been times he gave me a job to do. He didn't expect it. And, and I like to tell about the times when he said, that's a good job. But a few times he said, we're going to do this better. Sort of like when mom sent you to wash your hands. And then she asked that question, did you use soap? Well, boys don't need soap. Water is fine. But anyway, uh, you give an account. And this uh, concerns two days. It's the day of responsibility and the day of reckoning. You and I are living in the day of responsibility. The day is coming of our reckoning. I want you to note that each servant in this parable was given money. Uh, he was given money and one talent uh, was worth about 20 years wage. So it was his investment. It was his retirement, if you will, that he gave to his servants. One talent, about 20 years uh, wage. And so there's uh, quite a responsibility even to the one who has but one talent. When you look at the story, you understand the one that had much ability was given five talents. That was equal to a hundred years wage. Then there was one that was given two talents who had an average ability. 
And then the man with minimal ability receives one talent. Now the talent represents opportunities to use our ability in serving the Lord. It is important to note that the master gave these talents of money to these men, I don't miss this, with the expectation of making a profit. Look at verse 27 again, if you will. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. I would receive the talent that I gave you. I expected to get it back with an increase. I expected to get it back with a profit. As we read the results of the work of each of these men, we recognize that the one man who was given five talents equal to a hundred years of wage, he had used that five talents to make five more talents, and so he now has ten talents. He's made a good increase. He's made a good profit. The one who received the two talents, he did the same. He doubled the amount of talent or money or investment that the master had given to him. The one that was given one talent, he was afraid. He was afraid of losing that talent, so he hid the talent. He protected the talent, and he returned the talent to the master. Think with me, if you will. He is not like the prodigal son who took an inheritance and wasted that substance. This is a good man in light of the fact that he is not a waster. Uh, he is not one that has no fear or respect for the master. He does respect the master. He does have a fear, a fearful respect for the master. And he feared that he would lose it. So he took that talent and in fear... He hid that talent. Now, we know what that's like. Uh, we take something that's valuable and uh, you don't leave it laying out on the uh, uh, kitchen table. I wouldn't even leave a peanut butter sandwich on the kitchen table at my house. Uh, uh, but, but, but you don't leave valuables out. And so he had fear. He said, I don't want to lose it. So he hid it. He put it someplace where he would know where it was. One of the problems with getting older is not just hiding it, but now remembering where you hid it. So uh, he hides the talent. He wraps the talent in a napkin. He seals it. He protects it. You understand, this is a good man. This is a man that all of us would have a respect for. He's not a wasteful person. And then when the master returns, he returns that talent to the master saying, I was afraid, I hid it, I sealed it, and now I'm returning it. I'm giving it back to you. His Lord said, Thou wicked and slothful servant. I don't know about you, but that's sobering to me to realize that what God gave me, he doesn't want me to just keep it and return it. He wants me to make a profit with it. He was not wicked and slothful because he didn't care. He did care. 
His Lord didn't come back and ask him about the talent, and he, he didn't say, you know, I don't know where it is. I, I don't know. It didn't matter much to me. I, I don't know where it is. He cared. He had a fear. So he took the talent, and he sealed it, he wrapped it, he hid it, he put it in a place where it would not be lost so he could return it. And he was not a wicked and a slothful servant because he did not care. He was not a wicked and a slothful servant because he wasted the talent. He did not waste it on riotous living. He was not a wicked and slothful servant because he misplaced or he lost the talent. He was a wicked and a slothful servant because he did not use the talent to make a profit for his Lord he did not even try. Now one day I'm going to stand before God and he knows what he has given me. He knows what he's given you. We're going to give an account for what he's given to us. He does not expect us to just give it back. In fact, he said, if you knew that I could reap where I had not sown, it would have been better for you to try and fail. It would be better for you to witness to somebody and nobody ever gets saved than it would be for you to never try to witness to anybody anyway. It would be better for you to attempt and fail. I'd rather go to heaven as the biggest failure that God ever saved than to go to heaven and stand before him and say, I didn't try to do anything. Now that is a convicting passage of scripture. That is convicting because our heart's desires, I preached last Sunday night, we want to hear him say, well done. And for him to say, well done, he expects us to make a profit. Now, there are many folks in here that have been in or are in some type of small business. You know what it's like to get a small business loan and to either purchase material that would make a good or you have purchased equipment or tools that you can accomplish a job or you have built houses or real estate and you never get a small business loan so you can just return the loan. You give it to make a profit, right? I mean, that's what our purpose is. So we understand this full well. It concerns me that we care more about making money that will perish than we often do as Christians that care about giving an account before God. Now, I'm not preaching this message tonight because of a church that's lazy. This is a faithful working church. As I was outside after the service and after baptism this morning and I saw uh, Brother David Beharry driving a van uh, full of people back home and others uh, pulling their cars up and taking people home and uh, the many folks that drove buses and taught classes and all that uh, happened today. I'm not preaching to a lazy church. I'm just telling us tonight uh, that you and I are responsible for what he gives us and he is expecting a profit. 
I'm thankful as I look back over these years and to see where God has brought us from as God has given us blessing and we have invested those blessings in ways that we can reach people for Christ and we have not invested money in things that would bring pride. We've never had fancy buildings that folks would just come by to see the architecture of the stained glass windows and I'm not against that, not, not preaching against it. I preached in Chicago a week before last, one of the most beautiful buildings I'd ever seen with all of the stained glass windows and all of that. We've never invested in anything like that, but I'll tell you what we have invested in. We've invested in the eternal lives and souls of boys and girls and teenagers and men and women and as a result we have seen our church grow in all of these years. It continues to grow today and as today as I do every Sunday receive reports from young men across the country saying preacher we had a good day today they once sat in these pews they once sat in the uh, uh, seats at Commonwealth Baptist College and they prepared for ministry that's what God expects and I'm glad I'm preaching this sermon to a people who says I know what it's like to make a profit and I'm glad tonight we're making a profit but you understand when we stand before God, we won't stand as a church. We'll stand as an individual. You won't stand beside the bus captain. You won't stand beside the soul winner. You won't stand beside the bus driver. We'll stand alone before God. Now, I have a concern about something that I, I want to focus on for these last 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 minutes of the message. I fear that we misunderstand salvation uh, as it applies to this story. I, I fear that we misunderstand separation from the world as it applies to this story. Let, let, let me tell you what I mean. Salvation is not just for forgiveness, it's for service. God didn't just save me to keep me from going to hell, He saved me to be His servant. That's why God saved me. That's why he saved you. He didn't save you just to go to heaven when you die. He saved you to be God's servant. He didn't save us for a prize. He didn't save us for a trophy. God saved us to serve him. He has given to us a talent and an ability which is responsibility that we're supposed to be using to bring other people to Christ and God has invested in us so that we can invest in another and we can increase this matter of the gospel of Christ. You see, uh, there's, not a, there's not a better program in all of the world uh, uh, than the program of the Great Commission. Uh, when somebody gets saved, they're supposed to win somebody else to Christ. And when they get saved, are you listening to me? And that would have been a good place for an amen when I said God saved us so we can get somebody else saved so they can get somebody else saved, so they can get somebody else, and we can fulfill the great commission of going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I've been in church all of my life. I started going about nine months before I was born. I've been in church all my life. I love church. and I've been in many kinds of services and conferences, and I've heard many salvation testimonies. And I love to hear those testimonies. I love to hear how God saved a person from the depths and from the mires of sin and set them free and gave them 
eternal life. I love to hear the miracle stories of how God changes a life and makes them a new creature in Christ. I love that. And I could repeat many, many stories. I've known folks that were on death row uh, that became a child of God and God gave them the opportunity to live in freedom again. I've known folks that uh, their lives were given for the most wicked and vile activities in all of life and God saved them from the depths and from the mires of, of sin and he set their feet on the solid rock and he gave them a salvation. And I rejoice in that and I'm thankful for that. But it's not what all he saved us from as the reason he saved us. It's what he saved us to do. That's why he saved us. You see, it took the same blood uh, to save those uh, that had not gone into the depths of sin but were sinners as it did to save those that had gone into the worst of sins. And sometimes we want to just shout about what God has done for us rather than recognize what we're supposed to do for Him. Churches die because they don't realize it's our job to reproduce. It's our job to win people to Christ. I was in a church uh, recently and the building uh, that uh, we were in was uh, not a building that the church had built. It was a building that they were working to buy. And uh, the uh, church that owned it, they had basically just died off. They had just few members left. And all of them were older. And I'm thankful for their faithfulness. But every church dies unless we're working to reach somebody else with the gospel of Christ. I don't want to be a church that just rejoices and shouts and praises God for what He has done. I want to rejoice in what we're doing for Him. Mark chapter 5 is an interesting story. We don't have time to read all of it, but it's an interesting story because Jesus comes there to the coast of the Gadarenes and there he met a man that was a wild man that lived among the tombs. Now, I don't like this story at all. It's a, it's a frightening story to me. Uh, you can call me a scaredy cat, call me whatever you want, but I don't take any delight in hanging around a cemetery. Uh, this fellow lived among the tombs. I'm reminded of the fellow, and you may have heard the story, but you haven't heard it in at least six weeks. The fellow was late going home, going home from seeing his girlfriend. He, he decided to take a shortcut, go through the cemetery. You want to laugh now or you want me to tell the whole story? And uh, as he was taking the shortcut, he falls in a freshly dug grave. He tried to get out, and he couldn't because it was muddy. It had been raining, and there he was stuck in the mud. So he just sat down in the corner. Well, just a little while later, you want to laugh now or you want me to tell you the whole story? A little while later, that wasn't a sincere laugh. That was terrible. That was terrible. And, uh, uh, and so uh, another fellow comes along, and sure enough, he falls in the same grave. He tries to get out. He climbs, and he falls down. He climbs, and he falls down. He's standing there out of breath. Fellow sitting over in the corner. He said, it's no use. You can't get out. I've been trying for an hour. And the fellow just jumped right out of the grave. Now, that would have been me. I don't, I don't like the story in the fact of what's going on. And Jesus meets this man. He's a wild man. He wears no clothes. Uh, they've done everything to tame him. They even bound him with chains and fetters. 
And he plucked those chains asunder. You talk about a crazy wild man. He meets Jesus and he, and he saves him and he changes his life right then and there. He makes him a new creature in Christ. When they see him the next time, he is seated, he is clothed, he is in his right mind having fellowship with the Savior. Now, Jesus gets ready to depart with the disciples and the man says, I want to go with you. You know what Jesus said? I want you to go home to your friends and I want you to tell them what great things I've done for you. Now, it'd be a wonderful thing if we got saved, we got to go to heaven he didn't leave us here just to be here. He left us here to continue the work of letting our light shine and being salt and light in this difficult world. Uh, folks, Jesus didn't save us to be a trophy on a shelf. He saved us to be a servant in the field. That's this week. Go tell somebody about Christ. This week, let's give some gospel tracts. This week, let's go work and win somebody to the Lord Jesus. Jared Young sent me a picture of a man that came to his church today for the first time. And the picture he sent me, the fellow is holding two tracks. Two tracks. <clears throat> I didn't see it at first in the picture until I read what he said. And in the, in, in the note it said, Preacher, I was out soul winning and I was inviting folks to church. I gave this man a gospel track. And he came today and he showed me the track and uh, he said, thank you for the invitation. He said, uh, do you go to church anywhere? He said, no, I just moved here from Lexington. He said, did you ever go to church anywhere in Lexington? The guy pulls out another track and it's from Clay's Mill Baptist Church. He's got one from Clay's Mill Baptist Church and he's got one from uh, the church, um, what's the name of the Liberty Baptist at uh, Glen Lily Road in Bowling Green. He's got one from me. That's what churches are supposed to do. That's what Christians are supposed to do. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this, but I, I want to give you something that I'm, I'm very concerned about, especially as we come from the past generation of servants of God. There's such a misunderstanding about the matter of separation from the world. Let, let's go back to the same passage that we read this morning. Uh, take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Bible teaches us that we're supposed to be separate from the world. That'd be a good place for an amen right there. And the Bible says in verse number 14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath Christ with Belial? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God? What is the temple of God? That's us. With idols, what is an idol? An idol is supposed to be something that's religious, but it doesn't have any God in it. It's empty. So here is a temple that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Here is a false idol, an idol to a dead God, to an imaginary God. And he asks the question, what fellowship does this have with this? And this is you and I. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I said, what business does this uh, uh, temple of God have with this idol, this dead God? And, and he goes on to give these comparisons and he tells us, hey folks, 
come out from among them and be ye separate. Now, let me explain to you what separation is all about. Separation is not about a Christian being better than anybody else. Separation is not about um, becoming a Pharisee or feeling like that you're ahead of somebody else. Let me tell you what separation is for. Separation from the world is so that I can go into the world and rescue folks from the world. It, it, it is like a doctor. His job, he, he's not going to the hospital tomorrow looking for somebody to have lunch with. You, you don't go to the hospital to have lunch. In fact, it'll make you sick and you'll end up in the hospital. Uh, but, 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 but that's not why he goes. His, his job of going there is help folks to get out of the hospital to get well, to overcome that. Now, I grew up in a home that lived a separated life. I believe in personal separation. I, when, when I grew up, and, and, and the same standards I still have today, I didn't go to the movie house. I've never been to the movie house. I didn't go to the roller skating rinks. I didn't go to the concerts. I didn't go to the swimming pools where folks were uh, all of a sudden thought it was all right to walk around in their underwear. I, I, I didn't do that. Um, I didn't wear anything that was seen as worldly in any way. Uh, we didn't copy any fashions or behaviors from the world. I didn't let my hair grow out like a hippie. Uh, we didn't uh, smoke or chew or dip tobacco and all those other things and, 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 and a hundred other things. But I'm not saying those things to say we did those because we were better than anybody else. Don't miss it. The only reason we did that is we wanted to be a testimony of what Christ had done in our life. We didn't even talk about those things. We, we, we didn't go up to somebody and say, hey, when's the last time you've been in the movie house? Now me, I don't ever go myself. Did you go Friday night to the movies? Right here's the altar right after the service. I, I, we didn't have that conversation because it wasn't a matter of thinking that you were better. Are you listening to me, folks? Our whole purpose is to make a profit for the master. What is a profit for the master? Finding another boy or girl, another teenager, another man and woman, and helping them to know that Christ came to set them free from their sin and give them a home in heaven. My dad stopped at a grocery store. This would have been in 1973 or 4. That's a long time ago. And my dad asked the grocery store attendant, those days there were no Walmarts. I mean, there were country stores everywhere. You could get fresh pickled bologna and crackers anywhere. Boy, that's good preaching right there. And, 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 and my dad said to the man that was tending at that little grocery store, he said, why don't you go to church with us? And here's what he said, I got to keep this store open for you Christians. Now, that's exactly what he said. Now, there's no place in the Bible that says anything about that conversation. But, but you know what Dad said? I'll never let anybody use me as an excuse not to go to church on Sunday. From that time forward, we never bought anything else on Sunday. It wasn't a matter of us saying, no, we, we observe the Sabbath day and we don't walk more than two miles a day. And That's what the Jews did. The Jews were proud of them keeping the law. And Jesus said to them, 
you, you don't keep the law to be somebody. I want you to understand it's a matter of loving me. It's a matter of serving me. And when he comes, he's going to ask the question, I gave you five talents. What would you do with your five? Well, master, I, I, I worked hard, and here's the five you gave me, and here's five more. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the one that he gave two, now that guy over there goes to the movie house. Uh, but anyway, uh, this guy, he gave two talents and he gave him two more. And, and he said, well done. I fear that for years we've missed it. If you're proud of anything, you ought to be proud of the fact that you get to drive an old bus or a van for Jesus. If you're proud of anything, you ought to be proud of the fact that you've been able to give gospel tracts. You've been able to witness and win folks to Christ. Don't think I'm I'm saying separation is not important. I want folks to respect me. Can you imagine if somebody drove up to your house, they drove up in a jalopy of a Chevrolet. I'm going to preach the truth tonight whether you like it or not. And I mean, he had four different kind of tires. And, 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 and the car was half rusted and the windshield cracked. And he had it held together with, praise the Lord, bumper stickers. And I mean, it, and he walks up to your house and he says, I'm selling this book, 10 Steps, How to Be a Success in Life. You know what I'd do? I'd buy him one. I would buy him one. I don't want somebody telling me to how to have a success in life who is a failure. I don't want to tell somebody about Christ. And I look as much like the unconverted and behave and talk. It's not about those things. It's about the gospel. It's about the testimony of Christ. And he said, the wicked and slothful servant. There's going to be many of a child of God that will stand before God saying, Lord, I was afraid. I didn't waste a talent. I still have it right here. I protected it. I'm going to give it back to you. No matter you, I'd rather try and fail. I haven't won as many people to Christ as I would like, but I do win people to Christ. At least we can get some gospel tracts this week and say, let me invite you to church. What a blessing it is to see many, many visitors. Folks didn't show up this morning because of the preaching. Lady got baptized after church. She said, Pastor, I just want you to know, I really love, and I thought she was going to say, I really love your preaching. She said, I really love your tithe. I said, my tithe. She said, I said, what about the preaching? She said, that was okay, but I really liked your tithe. You know why folks came to church today? Because you and I invited them to come. We cared about them. We loved them. We either drove a van or a bus or we gave them an invitation. We want folks to come. We want folks to know that the greatest life on earth to live is the Christian life. We want them to know that their sins can be forgiven and there's joy in serving Jesus. There's happiness in the will of God. Stand with, stand with me tonight. I'm out of time. Looks like I've got three more pages. Let me tell you about a fellow I led to Christ. Years ago, I was just going door to door, and 
I led a man to Christ who was a crippled man. His name was Wendell. Wendell didn't talk very plain. He tried to play a guitar. And I, I mean, uh, he, he told me, he said, I want to play a song for you. And his hand was like this. It took him forever to finally get his fingers clamped down on the strings to make a chord. And he had that electric guitar turned wide open. And when he hit those strings, wouldn't matter what chord he had it on anyway, it sounded like an explosion. And he said, let me, let, me, let me play this song. I'll never forget sitting down on the couch and winning Wendell Cade to Christ. As soon as he got saved, he knew I ought to do something for Jesus. He says, is there anything I can do to serve the Lord? I said, Wendell, the first thing you can do is tell other people what I just told you. He worked to win everybody in and around his apartment to Christ that he could win and get to church. I'd pick Wendell up during the week. He'd come to the church and he'd help run the vacuum cleaner. You couldn't understand him hardly when he talked. Wendell was later robbed and murdered by a group of teenage boys. When Wendell got to heaven, it wasn't a matter of what all God had saved him from. But he took what he had and his ability and he told others about Christ. He took the one talent. He told somebody else about Jesus. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.